Shalom. This is Gary Durashinsky, Congregational Leader of Beth Ariel Messianic Congregation. Thank you for downloading our message. We're delighted to make it available to you through the generous donations of our members and friends at Beth Ariel. We know that many are struggling financially because of the challenges facing our economy, and we do not want financial issues to keep anyone from enjoying our teachings. So please continue to listen in as often as you like. But if our presentations have been beneficial to you, and you are able to provide a financial donation to Beth Ariel, whether large or small, would you prayerfully consider sending a gift in support of our ministry? You can donate online through our website at bethariel.org. That is spelled B-E-T-H-A-R-I-E-L dot org. Also, please remember to pray for us that we would be responsive to the Lord's guidance as we reach out to the lost sheep of the House of Israel in the greater Los Angeles area. Thank you, and I hope you enjoyed this message. Now, there are nine aspects, we spoke about this, nine aspects of the fruit of the Spirit, and those nine aspects are broken into three triads. The first is that of those triads, love, joy, peace, that many have thought about. I think they might be right, but wouldn't push it, but they're sort of Godward in direction, our love for God, our joy in Him, and our peace with Him and from Him. And then those that are toward others, some use the word manward. I'm trying to work on my uh, language, you know, so it's a little more inclusive, manward, you know, it's a little uh, chauvinistic, don't you think? So I put otherward, <laughs> but that didn't make sense. So I said toward others. And so now we're to have patience, kindness and goodness. And then those aspects that are sort of, in my mind, focus inwardly of faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But we're going to focus on patience for a moment. And so what does it mean to be patient? Uh, I know all of us have uh, made the statement, I wish I could just be a little more patient, or we've asked people to be patient with me. Recently, uh, someone was extremely patient with me, you know, because Anthony had asked if I would teach him Hebrew. And I said, you know, Hebrew lessons are really expensive, Anthony. I don't know if you can afford me. So, so he said, how about if I trade surfing lessons for Hebrew lessons? And I said, oh, that'd be awesome. I'm winning on this one, you know. So I figured, okay, I'm going to go. He's going to give me surfing lessons. So yesterday, I had my first lesson, if you could call it that. But I was really concerned that I wouldn't embarrass Anthony, I wanted so badly not to embarrass him. And right when we got started, I terribly embarrassed him. So he had to exhibit a lot of patience towards me. We went to this uh, surf shop, and I had to try on a wetsuit. I never put a wetsuit on in my life. And so he says to me, don't put it on backwards. I said, I'm not going to put it on backwards. You know? So I put it on, and I put the zipper, and I go, man, I can't get the zipper. He goes, you got it on backwards. You know? And then when I went to get it off, I, it, because it was backwards, I couldn't get it off, you know, and I'm stuck. And the guy that owns the store, I said, hey, Anthony, man, I can't get it off. So they look at me and they go, all right. <laughs> the owner of the store said, poor Anthony, he's going to teach him how to surf. He can't teach him how to put this on. So anyway, that ended fairly quickly. And I got it off of me. And then we went down to Malibu. And then he's given me lessons on the sand. And I'm standing on the, on the board, you know, 
listening to wipe out in my head, you know. And I'm trying to get a feel of what this is going to be like. And I'm psyched. I want to get on this thing. I really want to do this, you know. So I get the gear on. Fortunately, I put it on the right way in public. And I've got it on, and I'm good to go. And I'm walking down the thing. And I said, hey, Anthony, what do I do with this thing? Well, it's the thing that you tie around your ankle. He said, you're supposed to put that around your ankle. You're going to lose the board. So he tied it around my ankle for me. So now I'm carrying it in, and I'm going into the water. And the waves, they were just relentless. You know, it's sort of like, can you just wait a moment? Let me get my breath. And, and they're just pounding me. And after about, I don't know how long we were out there, an hour, two hours? Yeah, <laughs> all right. Fair enough, fair enough, five minutes. Wait till I have him read from the Torah scroll. Okay. So I was out there about five minutes, and after a while, I started feeling like really tired, you know? And I've been, you know, I started working out, you know, I'm riding a bicycle a little bit, lifting some down. I'm thinking, why am I so tired, you know? And then I, he said, just rest on the board. So I'm laying on the board, you know, and people are surfing around me. What's this guy doing laying on the board? Well, I was tired and I couldn't kind of get it. You know, I couldn't get over this. I said, I don't know what it is. And I started feeling sicker and sicker. Finally, I said, Anthony, I got to breathe, man. I got to get this jacket. I got to get this thing off of me, and I got to get air. And I got seasick on the, on the board. And the reason I got seasick is because I'm prone to seasickness, you know. I love to sail, but I get sick all the time. And after a while, I said, I love sailing so much, I don't care. I get out there, I get sick, I do what you got to do. And then after a while, I feel better, and I'm out there, and it's fine, you know. And, but I, didn't, I haven't had that feeling in a long time because I don't sail as frequently as I do. So I didn't recognize the feeling until I got out of the water. And then I'm like nauseous as can be. I'm dizzy. I can't get myself straight. I'm sitting on the beach and I'm, I'm dying. Finally, I said, Anthony, you got to get me home, man, because this is not going to happen. So he starts driving my car. So the first thing he does, he's, he's pulling out and, of course, jamming on the rest of the Anthony, what are you doing to me? He said... Just getting used to the brakes. Just getting used to it, you know. Well, finally, we get home. We, get to, we dropped off his car here at the church lot. We get here. I said, I can't drive. You know, if I get in the car, I was like, so did I? He said, well, I'll drive you home. Drives me home. I get home. And, of course, then that's where I got sick. And then I felt pretty good. You know, I felt better. But I'm still even queasy this morning. Nothing's going to happen. But I'm just saying. But I just thought, as I was reflecting on this, how patient Anthony was with me. Because he was with the oldest guy on the beach, trying to try. And I felt so bad. I don't want to embarrass him. And of course, that's just what I did. But I appreciate you so much, Anthony. And next time, I'll take my, my bonine, bonine, whatever it is, dramamine stuff, and I'll do better, I promise. Don't give up on me. <laughs> I can't do worse. I, mean, I can't do worse. But when I think of patience, I couldn't help but think of that. And I, it was so great being in the water, though. It really was great being out there. And, but what does it mean? You have your handouts there. Um, the Greek word is macrothumia. And that word macro, we get the word long from, large, big, macro, you know, like a Mack truck, giant. And the other word, thumas, is the word for temper. So a person who is macrothumia or patient is one who's long-tempered. Now, I know when you think long-tempered, doesn't mean like he's angry for a long time. No, 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 no. See, we talk about being short-tempered. When you're short-tempered, you're fused, it goes off and you're angry. When you're long-tempered, it means you've got a long fuse and so you can hang in there with, the, uh, with whatever challenges you face, even like 
Anthony for hours having to cater to me. So it being long-tempered is what the word means. Now, we usually translate it as being long-suffering. That's kind of an archaic expression, King James kind of thing, to suffer over a long period of time. But here's what the word really means. You can substitute this word for patience every time you see it in Scripture. It's the word tolerance. That's what the word means. Are we tolerant with one another? Anthony was like exceptionally tolerant with me yesterday. Can we tolerate each other's weirdnesses? Can we tolerate each other's journey in their way of righteousness? Can we tolerate each one of us kind of strange theological ideas that need to get somewhat sorted out. The other day I was sharing with a couple, uh, the fellow was just a brand new believer. And uh, in our conversation he says, I believe Yeshua is the Messiah, but I, he's a Jewish guy. And he said, but I don't believe he's God. Well, you know, some people say, whoa, whoa, whoa you can't believe that he's not God. If you're not, you don't believe he's God, you're not saved. We have to be tolerant of people's journey. We all have things to learn, and we all have things to understand. Remember this. No one is saved by theology. Theology is our ability to put together the teaching of Scripture. And keep in mind, I love theology. When I was in seminary, that was one of the choices that I was going to focus in on was theology, because I love having clarity about what I believe, and what is to be understood. It also goes very well with my gift of teaching. I like things to be as clear as I can make them, and so theological discussion helped me to be clear or clearer in terms of what the Bible teaches. But theology is a human event. It's what we do with doctrine. Doctrine is inspired by God. Doctrine is the teaching of the Word of God. Theology is our attempt to put the teaching of the Word of God together, and none of us does it perfectly. So our theology can be really strange at times, and, but theology doesn't save anyone. The Lord can save us even with our weirdnesses. In fact, he delights in doing that. And over time, he instructs us by his Spirit. We just have to be yielded to his spirit to learn from him and to learn from his word. So this fellow is telling me, I don't believe he's God. Well, we'll talk more about that. But I wasn't ready to jump on his case and say, you can't not believe in Jesus as God and be saved. But I can say, we'll talk more about that. And an element of tolerance for a moment. But So the meaning means to be tolerant. It's a putting up with others when our patience runs thin or runs out. And so patience is a quality of God. That's why it is a fruit of the Spirit. It's a manifestation of the character of God. It's a manifestation of the Spirit of God who is God. And since he's the Holy Spirit, what he will manifest in us is his own character. One of his character traits is tolerance. Think of how tolerant God is with us. Think of how tolerant he is with our own sin. And yet he continues to love us, to bless us, to shower us with blessings. So much so that we oftentimes think, hey, I'm getting away with this. Because look how God just continues to bless. And so I guess I have nothing to worry about. That may or may not be true. But this is to his credit as being a tolerant God. Not to our credit for taking advantage of it. 
So patience is a quality. It responds to the issue of anger. Now, here's an interesting thing that I learned, something about anger. Anger is not a sin, right? Be angry and sin not. But the perpetuation of anger is a sin because we're told to not let the sun go down upon our wrath. I don't think that means you have to resolve everything today. But I do think it means you have to resolve things as quickly as you can. Otherwise, you are sinning, even though you are angry. But I recently read something that's really kind of interesting to me. Take a look at John chapter 11. Let me show this to you quickly so I don't keep you here all day. But in John chapter 11, we have the account of Yeshua raising Lazarus from the dead. And there are two things that strike me. One is, I want you to notice the character of Messiah. If you look at chapter 11, in verse, uh, verse 17, it said, Now when Yeshua came to Bethany, this is the village in which Lazarus, Martha, and Mary live, his closest friends, people that that took care of him when he traveled, the places where he stayed. And now when Yeshua came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, only about two miles off, and many of the Jewish people had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard, catch this, that Yeshua was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Now remember, Martha was the one that was always busy. She was always concerned because Mary was not helping her. But what was Mary always seen as doing? Everywhere you read about Mary, she's sitting at the feet of Yeshua, learning from him. Now catch this. In Luke, in John chapter 11, so when Martha heard Yeshua's coming, she went to meet him. But Mary remained in the house. Martha says to Yeshua, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now notice how Yeshua responds. He says, and she says, but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Yeshua says to her, your brother will rise again. He starts speaking theologically with him, right? He says, your brother will rise again. Martha says, oh, I know. You taught us about this, that he will rise again in the resurrection. He says, no, 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 no. You need to know who I am. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Isn't that interesting that he would say that question to Martha? If he said that to me, of course you know I believe you. Of course you know I believe this. But he's challenging her because Martha was not one who spent a lot of her time at the feet of Yeshua. He's teaching her about himself. I am the resurrection and the life. That's another way of saying I am God because life is only found in God. No one else has life. Others may perform resurrections such as Elisha's bones when it was touched by another one, he rose to the dead. But only Yeshua is the resurrection. Only Yeshua is the life. And therefore, he is God. That's what he's telling Martha. Therefore, don't you believe this? Not just I can say, rise from the dead and you will rise. But don't you believe who I am? I really am? And look what she says. She says, look, uh, Lord, I believe that you're the Messiah. The Son of God is coming into the world. It's almost like, uh, I, I do believe this, but, you know, I still have a ways to go. Now, notice this. Now it says that when she had... When she had said this, she went and she called her sister Mary. And the teacher is here, she said. And look what happens. When she heard it, she rose quickly. She goes to him. 
Now Yeshua had not yet come into the village. He was still in the place outside where Martha met him. And when the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly, go out, they followed her, thinking that she was going to to the tomb. But look what happens. She goes to Yeshua. And look what she says. She says the very same thing Martha said. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But look how Messiah responds to her. It's very different than the way he responds to Martha. He says to her, as simply this, when Yeshua saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. He just says, where have you laid him? He never says anything to her. He never says, well, Mary, like I said to Martha, if you were here, you would have heard, I am the resurrection and the life. He doesn't have to do that with Mary because Mary already knows because she's always sitting at his feet. And look at the difference of response because Yeshua is really unique, right? He is not just God who is sensitive to men. He's not just a man who is God-like. He is the God-man. He responds to Martha as God. I am the resurrection and the life. Actually, this episode is really interesting because if it was me, I would have just said, I am the resurrection and the life. Stand back. You know, I go to the tomb. I'm still the resurrection and the life. Watch this. But Yeshua doesn't do any of that. He just says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. It's almost, you know, this is like true, right? Because if you're writing a story, you want to make him larger than life. But he's not. When he speaks to Mary, he just weeps with her. So here's what I thought. You know, as as Yeshua, the God-man, he knows how to give truth where it's needed. He knows how to give empathy and support where it's needed. How often do people come hurting to us and we say, don't you believe Jesus is the resurrection and the life? When really what they need is weeping with them. They don't need to be instructed about anything. They know that. They just need to know there's someone who, remember I said before, belongs to me. Remember, belief, become, belong. I just need a belonger to be alongside of me. I don't need a doctrinal thesis on trusting God. Mary, Martha needed a doctrinal thesis. Mary did not. Sometimes we're like Mary. We don't need doctrinal theses. We need someone just to hold our hand. Sometimes we don't need someone to hold our hand. We need someone to challenge us about where God is at work. And at different times, we go through different things. And Yeshua is all things to all people. Isn't this kind of cool? Never saw that before. The very same lines from Martha and Mary and totally different responses. But I want you to notice this. Look what Yeshua says. Twice it comes up in verse 34. He says uh, in verse, uh, verse, verse 33. When Yeshua saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved. Look at verse 38. Then Yeshua deeply moved. This is the same Greek word and it does not, it does not, it does not mean deeply moved. This is a terrible translation and all of them have it. The word here means he was deeply indignant to what he saw. In other words, he was seriously angry at what he was observing. Now, this made me think, well, take a look at this. I'll show you. If you look, for example, at Matthew chapter 9, verse 30. Take a look. Just a little, little thing here as we try to go through. Matthew chapter 9, verse 30. This is a story where Yeshua heals two, two blind men. He enters the house. The blind men came to him. Jesus said, do you believe that I'm able to do this? They said, yes, Lord. Verse 29. 
He touched their eyes, saying, according to your faith, be it done. Verse 30, their eyes were opened, and Yeshua sternly warned them. See that no man, see that, what does he say? See that no one knows about it. The same word translated here, sternly warned, is the same word translated deeply moved. It doesn't mean to be deeply moved. It means to be indignant and angry. He said sternly to them, do not tell anyone about this. This is not the only place. Turn to Matthew, uh, Mark's account. In Mark chapter, I think it's chapter 4. Oh, no, 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 no. Maybe it's chapter 1. It's the healing of the leper, chapter 1. And you see, he heals the leper, verse 42, immediately, chapter 1, verse 42, and immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Yeshua sternly charged them. Same word. Now take a look at this one. Look at Math Mark again. Turn to chapter 14. In chapter 14, you have the anointing of Yeshua at Bethany, verse 31. While he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. She broke the flask, poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? The word indignantly is the very same word here that's translated move deeply. It means that he was indignant about what he saw. Now, the question is, what did he see? And here's the neat thing about Yeshua. Very rarely, I was trying to think of places where Yeshua gets angry with people. The Pharisees and scribes, perhaps we'd say, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, in Matthew 23. But it's a rare thing. You don't see that too often. It's usually religious people who are hypocrites. But more often than not, what Yeshua gets indignant about and angry with are things. He gets indignant here over death. And this is my view anyway. That he's indignant and angry about the pervasity of death. That it is affecting everyone. And he wants it ended at all costs. And how does he end it? Because of the joy set before him, he looks to the cross, which will bring ultimately the end of death and despair. He is so angry what death does to his closest friends. Look what it does to Martha. It gets her doubting who he is. Look what it does to Mary. It disturbs her soul and it breaks her heart. Look what it does to Lazarus. It takes him from us. And he said, enough is enough and I'm bringing it to an end. And the time will come when, end, when death will be turned backwards, as C.S. Lewis says, and life will emerge like it's never emerged before. We need to be cautious. And this is why tolerance, patience, tolerance is so critical. Because we are not like Yeshua as we ought to be. And we get angry at the wrong things. We get angry with people when we need to see what's behind the way people act. So we get angry with the one who has brought it into our world. Namely the evil one and sin that is manifested by the actions of others. And our prayer ought to be that it would move us and make us more determined to stand for righteousness. To be sure, we sometimes have to hold people to account for their actions, but it must be done with patience and tolerance, as you'll see in a moment. So I just thought that was so incredible. 
when I read that, to see how Yeshua responds and how the anger leads him to do what needs to be done to bring life. God is said to be slow to anger. The Lord passed before him, that's Moses, proclaimed the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Think of how much death Messiah must have seen in order for him finally to be moved as he was with such indignation. In Psalm 1-3, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He's a tolerant God. And if God is alive in our lives by his spirit, we need to become tolerant people. The Lord is not only patient as such, he's patient toward those who love him. And will not God give justice to his elect? This is Luke 18 about prayer. If the uh, if this, this individual persistently goes to this man and he will not provide it with bread, but he goes persistently and then finally he says, look, I got to keep this person from bothering me. I'll give them the bread already. And then he says, well, God is like that in that he will give generously. You don't have to hound him. He's unlike that fellow that would not give the bread, but he is one who like him will eventually give. But God is one who does not withhold He will not delay long. He will give generously because he's a tolerant God. The Lord is patient to the not yet believers. I've been thinking about that. We say unbelievers. But if we're hoping unbelievers will be a part of our congregation, that's sort of a very, you know, it sort of makes people stand out. Oh, now I'm an unbeliever, you know. But they're not yet believers. <laughs> Maybe that's one way to think of it. Romans says, do you presume on the riches of God's kindness and forbearance and tolerance? Not knowing that his tolerance and kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. In Second Peter, it says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises as some count slowness. He is tolerant toward us, not wishing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. Thus, we're counseled to demonstrate tolerance. Proverbs says, with tolerance, a ruler may be persuaded. With patience, a king who will not do what we want or someone in authority. With patience, we may be able to break through. I love this phrase. And a soft tongue will break a bone. The meaning is that a soft word will break through the most stiffest resistance. It doesn't mean literally to harm someone. It just means bones are hard. But a soft word will break through hardness of heart. And so in Ephesians, Paul says, as a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility, gentleness, and tolerance, bearing with one another. Because like Anthony, he needed to bear with me. And when he does Hebrew, well, let's just leave it at that. No, he's doing great. He's doing great. But in Colossians, put then on as clothing, clothe yourself as God's chosen one. Be compassionate with hearts of kindness, humility, meekness, and tolerance. Look how often tolerance keeps making the list. In 2 Timothy, if you are in ministry, if you feel called full-time to ministry, if you're serving, I charge you in the presence of God, Paul says to Timothy. I charge you. You hear that from an apostle, man. You back up and say, whoa, 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 don't go any further. I'm not sure I want this. But Timothy receives it. And he says, in the presence of God and of Yeshua, who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing, preach the word. 
Proclaim the good news. Be ready in season, out of season. When you're not well, when you are well. When you got it together, when you don't have it together. Always be ready to share the word. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete tolerance and sound doctrine. In what situations are we to be patient? Look what the word tells us. We're to be patient when the wicked prosper. How often does that make us, you know, impatient? Why is it that da-da-da-da-da has this? But the psalm says, be still before the Lord. Wait tolerantly for him. Don't fret yourself over the one who prospers, over the man who is wicked. Be content with who we are and what we have. We're to, be, we're to be patient in our suffering. Paul says, rejoice in hope. Be patient, tolerant in tribulation. Hang in there with it, he says. Be constant in prayer as the way to deal with it. In Romans, we rejoice in our sufferings. Know that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts. James, he says, count it all joy when you go through all kinds of trials and tribulations. And you have the word in your your handout. We're to be tolerant and patient in the work of ministry. Paul says, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. Got to have it. You know, Mary Lou and I are aware of a church back east. A church that grew to, I don't know, a couple of thousand maybe, or at least a thousand. They had bought a big piece of property. And the pastor there wanted to continue to build and build and build and wanted to get bigger and bigger. And his elders, he had 10 of them or nine of them, something like that, did not want to move in that direction. Did not, all of them in consort, did not feel this was the way to go. But the the pastor was persistent. He was not going to give up. Every one of his elders left. Every one of them stepped out of the leadership. And as a result, that church has dwindled down to a very small number. I don't know exactly the number, probably hundreds from where it was. Why? Because we're not to be intolerant or quarrelsome. You know, a pastor is one of the team. He may be given certain latitude because of his position and his calling. I think those are important things to be taken into consideration. But at the end of the day, pastors are not ones who are dictators and who say it's my way or the highway. We are to be ones who are not quarrelsome, But we're able to teach. Let me try to help you understand why I think this is a good idea. And why I think we should pursue this. But we need to endure even the things that we don't think are so good. The right direction. Because we're not to be quarrelsome, but we are to be tolerant. In relationship with others, James writes, Do not grumble against one another. He says brothers, but you know there's some Greek manuscripts that say brothers and sisters, so I included that one. So that you may not be judged. The judge is standing at the door. We're to be patient, waiting for Messiah. There are many times I say, oh Lord, if only you would come now. If only it would be now. Not then, but now. (laughs) But be patient, therefore, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. Be patient. He says it twice. Establish your hearts, for the Lord's coming is near. We're... Where, and here are some examples. I gave you one non-biblical example in Anthony, but check this out. Consider the patience of Abraham and Sarah. He's 100 years old before he has his first son. Sarah is 90. That's a pretty good patience. Pretty good patience. You got Joseph. You know, he spent two years in prison. That doesn't count the years that he, the time that he was taken from his family and brought into the household of Potiphar. We don't know how long he was there. 
But if he was 17 when he was taken, which is what most scholars assume, he was 30 when he gets elevated to the right hand of Pharaoh. That means he served Potiphar for at least 12 years, and then another two years, he lands in prison. How does a young man like that deal with that? But he was patient, and look what God did for him. Consider Job. James says, consider the patience of Job. How can you resist Job? I'd love to show you these verses. You need to look them up. Look them up. And I wish we had time that I could just read them for you, but we don't. But he endured adversity. Consider the adversity he faced. Well, read the book of Job and look what Satan throws at him. Everything he can that God permits and allows. He endured What he had suffered without once complaining. It says that in chapter 2, verse 9. He never raised a voice of complaint to God. Why did you allow this to happen to me? I don't know how that is possible. But Job never raises a complaint against God for what he endures. He endured probably the most difficult challenge were his so-called friends who kept telling him, you must have sinned, you must have sinned, you had to have done something wrong. How else could God, why else would God allow this to happen? You had to have deserved it. Has anyone ever done that with you? Just, you know, something goes wrong in your life, you had to do something wrong. There's always two sides to a story. Truth of the matter is, there isn't always two sides to a story. Sometimes friends are way, very wrong. And the scripture shows that they are. Wait till you get to the end of the book. It is Job who has to pray for his sons that the Lord, uh, his friends, that the Lord would forgive them. He tells them, God tells Job to tell his friends, you need to offer sin offering for the things you said to Job. And you need to ask Job to pray for you, otherwise I'm not forgiving you. And because it says of Job's prayers... God forgave them. Sometimes there aren't two sides to a story. Yes, we're both sinners. That's true. Job is a sinner, just as his friends were. But he was not wrong. He was right about what he was saying. I didn't do anything wrong for this. And God would tell him, no, you were a test to show just how righteous you are. He trusted the Lord. In one day, he says, in my flesh, I will see God. How does this guy say that? Who's like scraping the boils from his body with shards of clay. One day, I'm going to stand before the Lord and see God. That's the kind of trust he had. And he rested in God's timing. He never once said, why doesn't it end now, now, now? He waits on God. He trusts him that much. Check out those verses. They were very encouraging to me and to all of us. Yeshua himself, he endured the race set before him because he knew that this was God's call on his life and he knew the results would be glorious. So what are the results of patience as we bring this to a conclusion or tolerance? First of all, we can experience the fullness of the love of God. When we're tolerant in our suffering, that's what Yeshua says, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. You want to experience the love of God like you've never experienced before? You want to be like a Mary that has Yeshua come alongside and just console her? Count it all joy when you find suffering. That's what Paul says. In Hebrew, you want to receive the promises of God? Look what it says of Abraham. And Abraham waited patiently. He obtained the promises. Tolerance, a fruit of the Spirit, can work these wonderful things. You want to become mature in the Lord? Count it all joy when you go through various trials because it will bring complete, complete, you may be perfect, it says, hard to say, you may be perfect and complete 
lacking nothing. That means you'll be mature in your faith. Tolerance for one another. Tolerance for God. It's a supernatural thing that God bestows on us by his spirit. With it, we experience the fullness of the love of God. With it, we encourage one another. With it, we see the results of God's work in another person's life. With it, we see God's work in our own lives. Over and over again. And, you know, sometimes I think I'm a pretty tolerant, patient person. But there are many times where I am not. Computers, Mary Lou can ask me, can you check this out? I just am not very tolerant when it comes to problem solving. In fact, when I took the luminosity test, I was low on the problem-solving thing. I hate to say that to everyone. Yeah. He's not a problem-solver. Don't ask him for help. You know. But patience can help us become problem-solvers. Patience can help us become lovers of one another. Patience can help us experience the fullness of the work of God because he doesn't do things overnight. He does things over time and space. So as you go through your life, there's no silver bullet magic pill you can take that all of a sudden patience happens. You have to see every moment as a moment in which you can experience and manifest the fruit of the Spirit, love. See, every moment is a moment where you can experience the fruit of the Spirit, joy. Every moment to be a moment where we can experience that aspect of the fruit of the Spirit, peace. And every encounter we have, that we're careful not to be angry at people, but angry at things. And that may help us to be more tolerant, more patient, more enduring, which will only result in us being more, mature, more complete and perfect in the Lord. Is that not great stuff in the Word of God? I mean... Boy, you know, when I first came to this thing, patience, I said, how do you teach on patience? But as I started looking at God's word, patience just seems to permeate the life of Messiah and the spirit of God. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we've come this morning to hear your word and you've shared with us. We've come to worship you. And I pray, Lord, you have been pleased with our worship in singing out praises and playing instruments and dancing, lighting candles and sharing liturgy, greeting one another and hearing and responding and sharing your word. So, Father, we pray that your presence in our lives would manifest itself. May the character of Messiah be fully evident in our lives. We pray, Lord, the fruit of the Spirit would be characteristic of who we are as children of God. Help us, Lord, with tolerance. Help us, Lord, with patience. And enable us thereby to give you praise. Lord, as we give this morning, we give to the glory of your name. We give out of the substance that you have provided us with. We give, Father, to worship you, to praise you, to thank you, and to express that you have everything of ours. And this little bit that we give symbolizes everything. Our money, our time, our abilities, our life. 
It is yours. And might you do with it that brings glory and honor to yourself and benefit to the world around us. So may your blessing fall on all who give and are able to give this day. For it is more blessed to give than to receive. We pray in Messiah's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our message. We hope that it serves to encourage you in your walk with the Lord and your service to Him. Do remember us in your prayers. And if you are able to provide a financial donation to Beth Ariel, whether large or small, would you prayerfully consider sending a gift in support of our ministry? You can donate online through our website at BethAriel.org. That is spelled B-E-T-H-A-R-I-E-L.org. Thank you again, and may our Heavenly Father richly bless you as you continue to follow Him. Shalom, shalom.